Welcome to Machine Learning. Well, I thought I'd do a weekly recap, and uh, and since I didn't do one Saturday, and if you've been following along, which a lot of you are, uh, you're probably very concerned about the economy and you know what it means. Um, we've just had too much debt, too many wars in the last few decades, too much interference and entanglement with uh, the foreign politics of other nations, particularly in the Middle East. We were told that there were weapons of mass destruction, and I did read a book about Saddam who, it, where it showed that he was trying to build an atomic weapon, but was unable to, and uh, basically ran out of time and money. And that's one of the things that countries like Russia have learned is like in the Cold War race to build nuclear weapons, that they were very expensive to build. And the only nation really that could afford them would, was the U.S. Um, and that was largely due to the byproducts of its energy production system. So it, it produced... Uh, a lot of energy using uranium and then harvested the plutonium that resulted from So plutonium is one of the most expensive and rare elements in our um, known universe. <laughs> okay, so does that mean that we can't have more efficient energy production then? that's non-plutonium producing? And the answer is absolutely yes. And that amount of energy is phenomenal. I mean, we're talking not just megawatts, but we're talking gigawatts, terawatts, and possibly even quads or quadrillion watts of potential new energy. And so the fact that we live in energy scarcity is political. It's not economical. It's political, and it's driven by the agenda of the politicians. You know, and that's one of the big problems that we've had in politics as special interest groups, that they go and they spend millions of dollars so that if a politician votes one way, he makes money. If he votes another way, he makes money. You can't lose. And so there's special interest on both sides. And it works almost like a derivative in the way they have it set up with the special interest. I think the special interest groups should be done away with. That is just not described in the Constitution. And what it does is it, it puts big business too close to uh, the political process and so the Republican form of government, which we wish the United States is, doesn't necessarily reflect then the interest of the people. It reflects more the interest of big business and the special interest groups. And, and businesses know that. They, they account. They, put, they reserve millions of dollars to preserve their interest and... Uh, and that cycle continues to get more extreme as time goes by.
Well, you look at the interest rate we're paying now on our $28 trillion, $28 trillion, that's $28,000 billion of debt. Uh, we pay $329 billion of interest. And eventually we're going to be at a point where the taxation does not pay even the interest, and that's a concern. So what will happen at that point? Well, one possible scenario is that the interest payments will be done away with and we'll just pay on principal. So we'll agree to pay the principal amount because we're in a no-win scenario at that point. So we go back to the debtors and say, okay, look, we're the only ones that can make this payment. You can't go to a co-signer. You can't go to... Uh, a, a second party and, and seize collateral, etc. So, look, here's the deal. We'll either repudiate all the debt, which I was wishing that Trump would have done. He said he would, but he never did. And I don't blame him. It was, it was almost like he believed that he would get the second term. And I believe that he would get the second term. But he didn't. And it was a shock to the world. And so that opportunity to repudiate this enormous amount of oligarchy debt debt, um, was not made possible. So I think what will happen is that instead of saying, look, we can't make our payment on our bills, we say, we're just going to pay on principle only. Forget your interest. You're going to have to eat those costs. And if you want to keep this arrangement, we'll agree to pay on principle. But by 2035, 2040, that principle will be so enormous that eventually it's not even going to make sense. It's just going to be a huge chunk of debt. But you get rid of the interest and the fees, it doesn't have the extreme penalty. But I don't think we'll even be able to make the interest payments in those times. So we'll have to come back to them and say, look, this debt that we owe you is so big, so enormous, has got so out of control, we're only going to pay you a fractional portion, maybe 50%, maybe 30%, something that we can actually absorb. And... You look then at the world, looking at the conflict in Ukraine, you look at the conflict in Taiwan. If if uh, if the Taiwan scenario becomes a reality, then chip makers in America will need to step up. So perhaps everything will convert to ARM. But I have to do my research to see where ARM chips are being built. And are we building the facilities big enough, quick enough. So we got Micron in Idaho. Will they start to build ARM chips? And will that be a good company to go work for right now, knowing that they will be a key strategic partner in the case the world enters into a conflict in Taiwan where the most chips, silicon chips, are produced? So that's chips for everything from your TV to your laptop 
to your tower, to your cloud servers, to the robots that build the machinery. So, I mean, we can continue to have these shortages, but it's really amazing in the day of automation. But how can you move to automation if you don't have chips? So you could have the frame on the robot, but you wouldn't have chips. Well, the only way to do that is to fabricate your own, and that's Fab Lab. And I don't know what Fab Lab version is, but the technology exists to print your own circuitry. So if you could print your own circuitry, and that circuitry is detailed enough to constitute a several million transistor chip or a neuromorphic chip, or an analytic, analytic, analog chip, then we're in business. Business is good. So technology may follow a decentralized pattern where you pay for the licensing to use the design and you print your own dang chip. How cool is that? And the amount of circuitry then that would exist in the world should begin to double. And that would be a, a great advantage uh, for the whole world. Because now you could have anywhere where you have internet hookup which is not a large percentage of the world. But if you could start to create decentralized energy and then telecom to those energy-producing centers of the world, decentralized energy centers of the world, then you could access Internet and the sharing of ideas and the sharing of design, which we've talked about, there's a difference between sharing technology and sharing design. Collaboration, groupthink, etc. And you could then begin to empower people with both data, knowledge, and products. And so there's would be, a, instead of a decrease in the diversity of products, we would now see a huge explosion in terms of the number of products and things that could be available. Better designs, better ways of doing things, and better ways of living. Now, one area that I'm really interested in that's very hard to see to get access to is Nigeria because I was watching a AIML uh, projection on growth in the world and Nigeria will be the one of the fastest growing sectors of the world in the next hundred years you think it would be China and India but India's already passed up China and so it's not China it's India India is growing fast right now Got lots of population, lots of jobs, lots of wealth, and um, 
but you don't hear anything about Nigeria. Zero. Nothing's on the radar there. 